What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If you had all the money, all the time, all the knowledge, all the resources that you needed? What would you do with your life if you simply knew that anything was possible for you? My name is Christina Carlson, founder of Global Swedish Design and stationery brand Kiki K, and author of the book Your Dream Life Starts Here. And I love exploring these sorts of questions to inspire people to dream. Before I started Kiki K, I had a dream that I could bring Swedish design to the world to create beautiful products that bring sparks of joy into the everyday lives of millions. Now that I have achieved that dream, I want to help you dream big. I want to create a global movement to inspire 101 million dreamers to transform their lives and transform the world in return. Each episode, I'll be talking to some of the world's most inspiring people, exploring the powerful impact that dreaming has had on their lives. We'll be diving deep into the power of dreaming with real insights and ideas that you can use immediately to build a dream life of your own, whatever that means for you. This episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with someone I truly admire, Sharu Izadi, an incredible woman, renowned behavioral change specialist and author of her amazing book, The Kindness Method. Sharu's revolutionary approach to helping people make positive and long-lasting changes in their life is something that is very dear to my heart and something that is so aligned with our brand philosophy at Kiki K as well. After many years of working with people overcoming substance misuse and addiction and battling through her own self-doubt, low self-esteem and an unhealthy relationship with food, Sheru was able to turn her life around by putting simple, positive and sustainable habits in place, but more importantly, by treating herself with kindness and compassion every day, something many of us find difficult to do. Her belief that treating yourself kindly is the only way to make positive and long-term changes in your life is a refreshing and practical approach we should all look to embrace as we work towards our dreams. In this wonderful episode, you will discover simple tools and kind ways to change habits and behaviors in your life for the long term, how to stop focusing on what might be wrong in any situation and start identifying the joy in every moment how to overcome self-doubt and learn how to celebrate your life and all of your achievements, the importance of finding what makes you happy, not what you think should make you happy, and creating time for that in your life, the power of journaling, manifestation, and setting your intentions each day to help you live a life you love, and a whole lot more. I just love this episode, and I know you are going to love it too. So let's get right into it. Sheru, welcome to our Dream Life podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited to have you. So I'm so excited for our listeners to hear about your inspiring journey, how you help people change their own habits for the positive and your amazing book, The Kindness Method. But first, I would love to start by getting to chat about your childhood if you had a dream as a child. I did. As a child, I wanted to be in a West End musical. I wanted to perform and stand in front of a whole bunch of people and make them happy and make them feel engaged. And to a large extent, that's 
a lot of what I do now. Actually. Yeah, absolutely. You sure are in a in a non musical way, perhaps. Unless well, you sing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. You're not only an inspiring author, but a successful behavioral change specialist whose fresh approach to change habits has really taken the world by storm. I'd love if you could give a little bit of a background on yourself and the work that you do and perhaps share a little with our listeners how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. I guess there's two main areas that I draw from now in terms of my experience when it comes to my work. One of them is my own lifelong battle of struggling with low self-esteem, low self-belief and being very, very overweight or very underweight, one or the other. Yeah. And abusing myself with my eating habits and the way that I would speak to myself. And the other is the work that I've done in addiction treatment in the prison service, um, the criminal justice service, in the community, in clinics, learning about the tools that help motivate people, the tools that help people make changes even when those people are really resistant and their habits are really ingrained. And I discovered that if there was one kind of headline that applied to both of those kinds of situations that I could use to help those people in addiction and I used to help myself to lose eight stone in a meaningful and sustainable way, it's kindness. Mm -hmm. Kindness towards yourself and consideration for yourself and your body. And that's really what I, what I use to help me change and what I see helping thousands and thousands of people change in recovery every day. Mm. That's amazing. I'd love to explore that a little bit more. But, but how did you get into this? Into addiction treatment? Yeah. To be honest with you, I wasn't hugely academic at university. So when it came to applying for a, a placement as an assistant psychologist, nobody wanted to work in substance misuse. <laughs> <laughs> I think all the, the girls, well, the people who had studied really hard, I guess they just thought it was kind of a thankless area to work in. And it's not the most glamorous, to be honest. I mean, it's, it was pretty gross. Some pretty gross things happened to me. But, but I loved it. From the first day that I was placed in a substance misuse service in North London, a pretty rough part of North London, the time would just fly all day because I couldn't believe how easy it was to help people transform their lives. I couldn't believe how little people knew about the simple tools that were available. Sometimes, as you well know, it was a matter of just writing down one sentence that would turn around an entire life and the family that were attached to that life. And it, it, was, it was extraordinary. And this would happen 10, 15, 20 times a day. And I couldn't believe that then I would go home and I'd talk to my friends who were struggling to make such small changes in comparison. Yeah. And I just, I wanted to tell them, guys, this is so easy. You know, we could all do this. It's so easy. And I, uh, you know, I see people without many internal or external resources doing it every day. So, yeah, working in addiction actually started because no one else wanted to. Mm. <laughs> but I loved it immediately. And so I just stayed there. And the opportunities just kept opening up for me because that's what happens when you love something. Yeah. And you, you're engaged in it constantly and people can tell that it's oozing from you. And that's why opportunities continue to present themselves now for me, I think, because... I love it. You can tell. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit about, I love the foreword by... Um, Marisa. Yeah. Yes, because I think that is something that I really, well, one of the reasons I actually wanted you on this podcast, because I think that so many of us have those little issues in terms of, you know, compared to like, a, you know, really issue with drugs or really, uh, you know, alcoholism and all that kind of stuff. But 
I love that you are really um, helping people that might not have an issue in terms of having a serious issue with alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, but could be some smaller things, you know, and I think I love listening to or reading her, um, her foreword because I feel like there's so many people in her situation. And I'd love you to talk a little bit about that uh, because I think that could really help our listeners. Of course. Marisa contacted me. She's a journalist from The Pool. She contacted me when she heard about the workshops that I was doing at the School of Life. And those were just general habit change workshops. I was just trying them out and getting a feel for them. And she contacted me and, and said, I'm not sure you can help me because I don't want to stop drinking altogether. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's what you do. <laughs> and from my experience, everything that I had done involved was helping people stop drinking altogether. Yeah. Uh, for various reasons, political, funding wise, all sorts yeah. of things. And in a way, it's more simple to just cut something out entirely. Yeah. But she didn't want to do that. And so I sat and I thought about it and I realized that if I applied the same thinking to her drinking as I did to my eating. Yeah, because you have to eat. Because you have just, to yeah, eat, yeah, you can't yeah. be abstinent. <laughs> so I've had to define what the kindest version of eating habits and exercising habits is for me personally. And so I thought maybe I could help her find that. Maybe I could make it so that she could behave in, in this way sometimes, but on her in the way that she, only she wants to, in a way that she feels proud of. Maybe if we could help her cut out the occasion when she's drinking because she feels sad or alone or bored or anxious mm -hmm. and help her retain the times when she's drinking for a bit of relaxation or to socialize or to genuinely enjoy a bottle of wine, yeah. then she could learn to manage this herself and she wouldn't have to wait until things maybe got really bad or she felt she was dependent. Yeah. And she, she changed her behaviors and one morning I, I woke up and I had about 300 emails <laughs> out of nowhere because I didn't know she'd published her her article and I was just going along plodding along with my life doing yeah. what I do and that day my whole life changed forever because one of the emails was from a book agent yeah love that yeah and then everything just changed it was amazing mm, I bet I bet oh that's a, I love that story so what I find particularly inspiring is your own personal experience in overcoming addiction having lost an amazing eight stone by putting into place realistic and sustainable habits and that's such an incredible achievement. Can you share a bit about your personal experience with this and what were the key changes in mindset and habits you needed to make that happen? You know in the past I was always good at losing weight. Yeah. I think people who want to lose weight tend to know how to lose weight. Yeah. When I have clients come in the first question I ask them is okay let's just get the food out of the way. If I told you I'd give you 200,000 pounds at the end of the month if you lost weight healthily would you be able to do it? And everyone says yes. Yeah. So that's not the problem. Yeah. I think it comes to asking people and getting people to understand what I had to learn. And that is that the only way to keep it off or to sustain any difficult change is to like yourself more, believe that you're worthy of achieving ambitious and great things, and believe that you're capable of achieving ambitious and great things. And so the time that really changed my life was when I approached weight loss, doing practically all the same stuff, you know, cutting calories or carbs or moving around more, you know, all the yeah. stuff we know. But the way that I did it this time, funnily enough, was that I decided I was going to like myself and back myself whether or not I lost weight. Mm. And that's when the weight came off. Mm. The weight just became a byproduct. It became lost in a list of the many ways I was being nicer to myself. Mm. And that's what worked for me and, and continues to work very effortlessly. Mm. 
So I just, you know, I apply kindness to everything I do towards my body. Whereas before, it was conditional on how my body looked. Mm. And that's just not the case anymore. No, I love that. And I think so many people can relate to that. It's a really, really good tip. Thank you for sharing that. I imagine it must have felt so empowering once you decided to really take control of your life, which you've done in, in such an inspiring way. Can you share any advice on how our listeners can jump into the driver's seat in their own lives when faced with big decisions or obstacles that feel outside of their control? Yeah, I think the first mistake that people make is that when they're faced with a challenge or an obstacle, they focus on what's wrong with the situation and what's wrong with themselves. Mm to why they can't overcome the situation. Now, aside from the fact that being nicer to ourselves is just a nicer way to live, obviously, yeah. from a practical point of view, identifying what's good about the situation is act and how it's serving you to be in the situation is actually how you identify what else you could do mm. that might be healthier or more useful to you. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%, absolutely. And then by focusing not on what, what you can't do, but what you can, you can identify the resources at your disposal to overcome the situation. Mm. So I think first and foremost, stop concentrating on what's wrong. Concentrate on what's strong. You know, think about where, okay, I'm faced with something I find difficult. Why am I finding it difficult? It must be doing something for me that is important and I should acknowledge and appreciate. Mm -hmm. And why don't I think I can overcome it? I must not be focusing on all the ways that I've overcome things in the past. Mm. So I'd say first and foremost, do that. Yeah. Great advice. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. So let's talk about the kindness method. What can people expect to walk away after reading your book? I hope that people walk away from the book thinking that at any point for the rest of their lives, if they want to change their lives, then they have the tools to do it. Mm. I also hope that it shifts their definition of kindness from something that gives them immediate relief and distraction and avoidance to something that they're glad they did in a week or a month or a year's time. Mm. Those are the main takeaways for me. Yeah, and great takeaways, <laughs> beautiful takeaways. I absolutely love the idea of being kind of to yourself. Focus on your skills, strength, and the positive rather than the negatives is the first step to making fundamental changes in our lives. If you could give three tips from the book on how our listeners can start embracing the kindness method at home right now, what would they be? First of all, the next time you do something that you're not delighted with, whether it's that you've locked your keys in the car or that you've eaten something you didn't mean to eat, Try to speak to yourself as you would speak to the person you love most in the whole world about it. Mm. Just give yourself a chance to say, to respond to it and listen in on how you're speaking to yourself. Because what you may notice is that you start spiraling into an abuse, essentially, verbal internal abuse that you would never dream of giving to someone else. Yeah. And not, not only is that a horrible, mean soundtrack to have, it's also completely unhelpful. If you spend half an hour telling yourself that you're a bad, weak-willed, disorganized person because you lost your keys, you're going to waste a lot more time as opposed to if you just say, oh, never mind, it's just keys. Yeah. You know, I'm a great person. I'm not defined by losing my keys. The same way that you would tell your daughter, for example. Yeah. But a lot of us just don't speak to ourselves like that. No. So first and foremost, I would say that. Second of all, I would say if you want to change difficult habits, first create enjoyable ones. 
I think people often make the mistake of thinking that they'll be worthy of being kind to themselves once they've achieved something. By realizing that you're already worthy of being kind to yourself, you will more easily achieve whatever you like. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. And being kind to yourself, I think, is, isn't just how you act towards yourself. It's things like being boundaried and reevaluating your values thinking about how you want to spend your time, who you want to spend your time with. Mm. And so then the specific habits just fits into the valued life that you're living anyway. Yeah. And third of all, what have people found particularly useful? When you're thinking about how you celebrate your achievements or your milestones, don't do it with the thing that you're trying not to do. <laughs> I get that, yes. <laughs> so I would often think, well, I haven't eaten cake in three weeks. I'm going to eat a huge cake. Because yeah. all that does is reinforce that you were bad and now you're being good and now you're going to be bad again and that foods are bad and you're it just, it's ridiculous. It puts, it kind of puts you back into these very disempowering categories that you don't need to assign yourself, you know. And it's also, a lot of us don't diversify the ways that we soothe ourselves the ways that we celebrate. You know, we find at a really young age that one thing is really effective, alcohol being the obvious example. Yeah. Like, wow, this is a real elixir. This is amazing for everything. And what happens then is that we neglect to be more discerning about what behavior we go to for our different needs. Mm. And so I would say one thing you can start doing is thinking, how do I celebrate? How about in the next month, I find two more ways to celebrate? How do I deal with stress? For example, I used to deal with stress by, with some healthy things, some unhealthy things, but never anything enjoyable. I always thought, okay, I could go meditate. I mean, meditating's enjoyable, but I don't run to meditation. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Whereas I decided, right, what was the last thing I really enjoyed? Maybe that would help me feel less stressed or would help me feel present. And so what I do now on a Sunday night, when sometimes I can feel a bit antsy or lonely, especially in the winter, I go to, um, I book myself a karaoke booth for two hours. <laughs> I love that. Order a coffee and just sing. Oh, wow. I sit there too. I don't like perform or put the hats on or anything. I sit there in the corner like I'm Barbara Streisand being interviewed on Oprah or something. And I just sing for myself for two hours. And by the end, I feel less stressed. So that wouldn't have come about if I didn't give myself the consideration to sit down and say, right, how much joy are you getting in your life? Mm. How much of your life is purely remedial? You're just waiting for something bad to pop up and then dealing with it. How about if you went out and preempted that you're going to want to enjoy your life mm. and did things that make you feel engaged and alive and like your phone doesn't even exist? Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. So I love I'd that. say find your stuff. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. That's a great one. It never even come to my mind to book a karaoke bar, whatever booth. <laughs> I'm the only person who I've heard of who's done it on their own. And you know what? You have to really own it. This is where the self-esteem bit comes in, right? Because yeah. when I go in every single time, they say, are you expecting someone? Do you need another microphone? <laughs> and so I have two options, you know. I can either say, oh, no, you know, oh, it's a bit embarrassing. Or I can just own it and say, no, stop asking me. I'm about to have the time of my life on my own. And if anyone wants to interrupt me, tell them to go away. I love that. You know, so. Yeah. And that's actually really good. I get a lot of um, questions about self-esteem. Have you got any tips for our listeners when they are lacking self-esteem? What can be helpful is to think when you were a child, if I had told you that by now you would have overcome the things that you have, 
got through the things that you have, achieved the things that you had, created the life that you have with the love that's around you and the support that's around you, would you expect to like yourself more by now? Would you expect that those things would make you feel worthy of liking yourself more? And everyone always says yes. So I would think, just think, think of that child there mm. and the life that they aspire to have. A lot of us, whether, knowing, whether we're conscious of it or not, have created that life. Mm. Or that life's come and found us even if we resisted it, you know? Yeah. So I would say, think about that. You know, doesn't someone like you deserve to like themselves more? Think of all the things you've achieved. Think of all the things you're capable of. Think of all the things in 10 years' time you'll wish you'd appreciated more now. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. That certainly helps, helps me. And I also think, I think, you know, having grown up with such low self-esteem and such low self-worth, there is a part of me that kind of thinks, that's it now. I've done enough of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even with all that, look how far I came. Yeah. So imagine how far I could go yeah, if absolutely. I liked myself. Yeah, such a good advice. Thank you for sharing that. It's gold for people, I think. And it's so true because I think we all evolve with life and all of a sudden you are at places that you never thought you could get to and then um, you just want more the whole time. You, we're never really satisfied, which is a, you know, a wonderful thing in many ways, but it's really good to take stock as well and look back and look at all your achievements. In in my book, I actually talk about or write, get everyone to write their accomplishment for the year, because I think we forget so many little things that we love, you know, the, the not just the achievements in terms of work or business or, or the big holidays, but it's also the uh, little things that makes all the difference, you know, the sunrises or the sunsets or all yeah. the little things. Absolutely. And if you think about it, the last time you achieved something really extraordinary, for example, you know, maybe you ran a marathon, or you did something that made you feel really proud, like you've got a master's degree or whatever. How did you feel on that day? Probably like nothing could touch you. Yeah. Like you could, you could take on the world. Like everyone was just a, a wonderful creature and you were one of them and everything, the sun was shining even if it wasn't. And then what happens is it starts wearing off. Mm. Real life creeps back in. And I'm not saying every day I'm gonna jump around like it's my birthday, although sometimes I do. but. The fact is that that accomplishment hasn't been taken from you. Mm. You're starting to take it from yourself by giving it caveats and conditions. You know, the things come in like, oh, but I could have got a higher mark. Yeah. Or I could have done it in a speedier time. Yeah. Or maybe if I was a few pounds lighter, I would have, you know, all the caveats and conditions come in. I think one of the ways to also increase our self-esteem is when we give ourselves a compliment or a pat on the back, mm. stop there. That's it. There's no negotiation. That yeah. was an accomplishment. You deserved it. It's yours. No one's taking it. Yeah. So if you want to jump up and down the next month about some news you got today, that's fine. Mm. The novelty doesn't have to wear off. No. Great one. Thank you. So you are helping people all over the world to take steps to move closer to a life that they love, which must feel amazing. Do you feel that you are living your dream life and have your dream career? And how are you feeling about where you are right now? Yes, I have my dream life. <laughs> I can't imagine anything. I mean, I, I can now imagine more things I want. But if you told me even five years ago that this would be my life, yeah. I wouldn't have believed it. Even now, I can't, I can't really believe it. I have to pinch myself all the time. But yeah, absolutely, I'm living my dream life. I'm, I get to help people 
and perform, <laughs> I get feedback every single day about how much my work is helping people mm. on a day-to-day -day in a real way. I get to write, which I love doing. Yeah. I get to meet people every day and get contacted by them. You know, I don't even know enough to be contacting people myself yet. <laughs> and I get contacted by these extraordinary people who I've admired and I've read their books. And they tell me that they like my book. Mm. And that's just a regular thing that happens in the day right now. So yeah, absolutely. And I've always loved self-help books. I love living in London. I mean, nothing gives me more joy than London. Yeah. Yeah. Every aspect of my life at the moment, there's a couple of things I could I could improve, I guess. But yeah, like we all have, yeah. of course. <laughs> but for the most part, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't wish for more. Certainly, work-wise, I mean, it's just amazing. It's a, it's. I'm absolutely living my dream life. There's no two ways about that. Love hearing that. So you are helping people all over the world to take steps to move closer to a life that they love. So in your book, you encourage regular journaling as a practice, and I know you're a big believer in the power of writing and manifesting what you want to achieve. I, of course, absolutely love this, and it's a huge part of um, the Dream Life movement. And in my book, it's about encouraging people to write down their dreams, visualizing what they want, and sharing it with the world. So research has shown that people who do this are more likely to achieve their dreams. Can you tell us a little bit how this works for you, and perhaps any advice on how our listeners can begin journaling and manifesting in their own life? The idea of journaling and putting time aside to journal every day was something that I always found difficult to keep up. Yeah unless it was put in bite-sized chunks that were easy to fill out, yeah. which of course is why I love your book. I also didn't like the idea, you know, when people would say write in a diary at the end of the day. Yeah. For me, it was always kind of a sad process, Yeah. you know, like write about what made you sad today. <laughs> and so I wouldn't really want to do it, obviously. Yeah. And so what I do every day, my journaling process is I wake up every morning and I give myself five minutes to quickly write down what my intentions are for the day yeah, and what challenges I think I'll meet. And if I do meet them, how I'm going to act. That's what I do. I use it as an intention setting exercise so that I can later on in the day when a number of factors, internal and external, are making me doubt myself or doubt how I want to act in a situation, I almost surrender back to that person who wanted the best for me, that 8am person version of me. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, I spend literally five minutes, unless I want to do more, but I tell myself it only needs to be five minutes. Yeah. And I keep it by my bed. I keep my journal by, them, by my bed. And I just write down any headlines, learnings, or things that I'm proud of myself for that day. Mm. That's it. That's all I commit to every day, regardless of what is going on. Five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening. And I'm telling you, it's changed my entire life. When it comes to self-awareness and behaving in a way that you're proud of, forewarned is completely forearmed. When you take shock out of the equation, when you turn up and you go, oh, I feel nervous right now. I feel threatened right now. I knew this would happen. How did I say I was going to act? Yeah. I said I was going to take five deep breaths. I said I was going to remember what I was capable of. And I said that I was going to behave in a way that I'd be proud of tomorrow. So that's what I'm going to do. Wow, I love that. Yeah, and so that's how I set my intentions every day. Mm. And that's that's what I use journaling for. And writing something down in your own handwriting, as you well know, especially if it's dated, it's very hard to argue with. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I love that you do it in the morning first as well, because I find that often then you are your true self in the morning because, you know, you're not influenced by anyone else and you, you have, um, have the time for yourself to think versus when, you, when you're in the middle of the day, you have so many other things around you. So um, I, I love that you do that in the morning. That's something I do too, and I love it. Yeah, and I think one of the things that makes it much more effective for me personally is that I tell myself I have to do it before I've looked at my phone yeah. or opened a computer. Mm because I think it's it's overwhelming. I often think that if someone created some sort of animation or skit of literally all the things we expose ourselves to on our phones as soon as we've opened our mm. eyes. Like imagine if as, before you'd even got out of bed, there was like a, a weather report and some harrowing news headlines and a Victoria's Secret model and then loads of people yelling abuse at you. And like, this is what we're doing when we turn on our phones the first thing in the morning mm. before we've even got our heads into gear and decided how we want to do our day to be discerning and to filter what we want to absorb and what we want to expose ourselves to. And sometimes throughout the day, we won't have control of that. But there are little little nuggets of the day when we do. And so I think we should really respect those. Yeah. But uh, I love to talk about the phones because I get so many people asking me how I have time to read. (laughs) And I always say, have you time to go on social media? And they always say yes, because everyone is on social media. So, And I said, well, there is your time for reading, so you have to choose. But of course, I am not saying go off social media, but sometimes we scroll mindlessly. But can you tell us a little bit about, or share some tips on phone addictions in terms of, you know, when you say phone addictions, is probably not as serious as the addictions that you are dealing with, but it's something that probably take away from people living their dream life mm. because that, that can take up hours in a day. Yeah. I think first and foremost, whether it's tech or it's gambling or it's sex or it's cocaine, if it's a problem for someone, it's a problem. If it's making their day-to-day life difficult and it's making them unhappy, then it's a problem. Yeah. And tech, yes, is certainly something that I have a lot of conversations about, but more than tech, it's the content. So it's things like social media. Mm. As you said, people are finding it very difficult to give themselves validation that the outside world maybe isn't giving them anymore because there's such an effective way of getting that validation and letting other people define what's attractive, what's not attractive, what's funny, what's Mm. not funny. So what I, a lot of my work is concerned with helping people unlearn a lot of that stuff and strip it back to what's important to them. One of my friends told me the other day that he asks himself, what would I do if I couldn't take any pictures of it? And I think that's a really important question, especially for young people to ask themselves now. Mm. You know, how would I enjoy my day if no one was ever going to see a picture mm. of it? And that's uh, an interesting one. <laughs> yeah. But I think a lot of this stuff is about looking at the bigger picture and saying, how is this behavior serving me? Is it serving me? Am I going to be thankful I engaged in it? Mm. And when it comes to tech, a lot of the time people's answer is no. Yeah. So I help people a lot by doing things like first, taking tiny breaks from your phone. And before you do anything else, just notice what happens? Mm. Is there a panic? Are you anxious? What do you think is happening on your phone? And that's the interesting thing that I'm writing about in my second book is that in a world where everything is becoming frictionless, everything's becoming very easy for us, you know, at the tap of a, a fingerprint, there's a toaster at your door in half an hour, you know, the world around us is, is making it harder for us to change our own habits. So we need to impose friction. We need to make it hard for ourselves to do mm. that stuff. So for example, when I, when I post something on Instagram, I immediately not only delete the app, but I log out of the app. 
So that means that when I go to check it, when I feel that impulse to check how many likes I had or whatever else, I know that I have to go through going to the app store, downloading Instagram, logging in again. Oh, wow. You know, and so more often than not, I choose not to do it. Yeah. I do that with everything. If it's takeout, for example, if I notice that I'm working hard into the night and I'm, I'm likely to want to get a pizza and I don't want to eat a pizza at 3 a.m., what I end up doing is immediately logging out and deleting the pizza app because I know that I'll think, oh, it's probably easier to just eat three apples that are over there. Yeah. You know, so it's about us when it comes to tech. If we want to change our habits, we have to accept that we are going against a very strong current to make it easy not to. Yeah. Such a good tip. Thank you so much. That's great. In my book, I talk a lot about the question of who, who can help. Is there anyone else who have been in your support team to help you go through the rough times? It's not a direct support team in the traditional way, but the people I work with who are in long-term recovery are the people I've learned from the most. The people who have had childhood trauma, the people who have been at the grips of addiction to the point where they've lost everything, their homes, their health, their teeth, their hair, and who are able to live a life of gratitude and productivity and service. When I see those people, even now I get goosebumps all over my way. When I see those people, I feel like I can do anything. I feel like one of the greatest gifts I was given is to work in those circumstances whilst I was trying to lose weight and whilst I was trying to like myself. Mm. Because people, you know, I'd done things in my life or I hadn't even done things, but I had just been things in my life that I decided were bad. Mm. I was meeting people who had done things in their lives who pretty much everyone in the world can agree are bad, you know? And they were finding a way to forgive themselves, to give themselves, to feel compassionate, to make healthier choices, to make kinder choices. They were finding it in themselves. And so I was thinking, well, of course I can do it. And they were teaching me, you know, I'd ask them, how are you managing to overcome this craving or this urge? And they would tell me, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. I talk to this person. I take care of myself this way. This is how I surf the urge. You know, all these things, people in recovery know more than the average person does about personal development. Mm. I've got kids as young as 17 who I volunteer with who will tell you about boundaries and projection and visualization and manifestation and resentment and these themes that have only come to me through academia or self-help. These guys know because they have to think about it all day, every day. They have so much to teach us, really. And that's one of my main missions is to tell the world how much people who are in long-term recovery from addiction can teach us all about self-awareness, about resilience, about self-esteem, and about kindness towards ourselves and others. They really are the heroes, really. I'm so grateful to them. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Something I like to share with readers in my book is that I have found great inspiration from the dreams and experiences of others. Who would you say inspires you? Again, the first person, the first people who come to mind are the young women that I work with. Mm. I work at a recovery house for young women who are in recovery from alcohol and other drug abuse. And they have really changed their lives around. Mm. They, they allow themselves to dream despite no one ever teaching them that they could. And that's because they've overcome difficult things and they've acknowledged that they have and therefore that they're worthy of dreaming. Yeah. And so they really, really inspire me. Yeah. I'm also very inspired by 
women who sit in rooms with lots of men in them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because in addiction treatment, you see that a lot. And there are a few women who stuck out for me who I saw sit in boardrooms or on forums back when I was taking notes and, you know, just allowed to peep in or whatever. And I would see these women. Usually there was just one in a room of 10 or 15 otherwise men. Yeah. Not only were they able to hold their own, but they, they weren't too concerned with being liked. And I always grew up obsessed with being liked. So many people do. Yeah. And I would see that that wasn't their priority. Their priority was to change policy or to do something that they were passionate about or to make their voice heard about something that was important and needed to be heard. Mm. And whether or not those men liked them wasn't really on their priority list. <laughs> and I, I found that really refreshing. In a way, it's sad that I thought that was, that was refreshing, but I did. And that really inspired me. And now when I often find myself in a room full of only men, I try and embody those women. Mm, such a good example. Thanks for sharing. I completely agree. The funny thing is when you stop wanting to be liked so much, you become much more likable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that tends to be the case yeah. because you're not everything to everyone and people yeah. can tell you're not compromising yourself yeah. and the authenticity is just so much more attractive. Yeah. It becomes a nice byproduct yeah, that you didn't absolutely. ask for. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. So a big crazy dream of mine is to inspire 101 million people around the world to write down three carefully considered dreams on paper and start chasing them, which is a really exciting dream. It struck me a couple of years ago how few people take time to dream, to imagine a future they want and then chase it. What three dreams would you write down if you knew that anything was possible and you couldn't possibly fail to achieve them? Love um, questions like this. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> okay, the at the moment, because they change all the time, obviously, because sometimes I just get them and then I need a new one. But the other day when I wrote down my three dreams, again, using your book, one was I want a kindness method HQ. Yeah. I want a building in central London. Ideally, I want to live on the top floor. And I want my office there. And I want support groups to take place there that are totally free. And I want everything kindness method themed and options for people with all sorts of different budgets and merchandise. And I just want it all in one building, one big kindness building. Yeah. So I want that in town. Love that. Second of all, I want some kind of TV show or radio show where I help, where I facilitate people from addiction, people who are in recovery from addiction, giving advice to people who are having problems changing day-to-day -day habits, mm. any day-to-day -day habit. Yeah. I want a panel of people in recovery advising Love that. every day. Yeah. And my other dream, to be honest, is to buy a beautiful home for myself. Yeah like a whole one, a whole big Georgian terrace house. Beautiful. That's my other ones. Yeah. So they're my three at the moment. Yeah. Gorgeous dreams. Beautiful. Thank you. So often I'm asked by people, how can I live a balanced life? It seems to be a modern day epidemic that people feel like they're living out of balance. What would you say to people who ask you that? If they say that they live out of balance and how they can fix it? I see first and foremost, write down what you think living in balance means. Yeah. And I think then consider what makes you feel good, not what you think you should do or you think should make you feel good when you decide what you're going to give your time to. I think a lot of the time we, we feel out of balance, even though we're on paper doing all the stuff that we should technically do to feel balanced and moderate. And, but actually, because it doesn't align with our core values and actually make us feel balanced, it doesn't work. So for some people, 
that may be making sure that they schedule in a lion. For other people, that may be making sure that they go to yoga. For some people, that may be talking to no one for three days, you know. Yeah, I can relate to that. Well, yeah. And there will be some people who would find that really isolating and that it would give them low mood. So depending on your judgments, we can often make decisions for ourselves and what, what constitutes a balanced life based on what other people have told us or what we think looks best or sounds right. But don't think back to how you want things to be. Think back to the last few times you felt really good. What was going on? And make sure that those are the kinds of things you do to counteract the inevitable challenge and uh, resistance and strain that also, of course, comes with everyday life. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I have that in my book, actually, to uh, design your perfect day. And when I say perfect, it's, of course, not perfect because there's no such a thing as perfect. But in terms of if you could design your perfect day, what would that involve? And for me on Sundays, that means absolutely nothing, like, you know, reading books and drinking tea and uh, spend as much time as I can in bed. <laughs> but for some people, that would be the most boring, crazy thought that they, you know, for people who love brunching and being social, that's obviously not their thing. But it's so important to take that time to really design what we want and I always encourage people to do maybe one day to start with you know Sundays often if you are lucky enough not to work on Sundays that's a really good day to start because often we have a choice on on the weekends compared to to work but even um, days at work you can sometimes just use imagination if you could have your perfect Monday what would that look like and maybe you can just make a couple of those changes because mm -hmm. often it's not often the big things it's often just taking you know have a coffee for, on your own or watching the sunrise I love watching sunrises mm -hmm. in the morning Morning, things like that, that it's really achievable and you can still do all the business of life. Totally. And very often you can just carry on doing the business of life and create kinder habits around it that make it more of a day that you're happy to be in. Mm -hmm. Be it little things like, oh, you know, every night I cook at the same time. Okay, maybe if you lit a candle and put on some music, yeah. that would be a nicer experience. Yeah. You know, tiny things like that that just create the, the landscape of a life that you prefer. Yeah, love that. Thank you. I would love to finish off by asking a few quick questions that I know our listeners would love to hear you answer. Do you have a particular morning routine to set you up for a productive day? I know you talked a little yes. bit about your um, how you start the day, but is there any other things that you can? First of all, no phone for the first 20 minutes. I stretch, then I shower, then I have a coffee, then I write my intentions. I might do a few affirmations or 10 minutes of guided meditation. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. And then again, I do not look at my phone. That's that's a huge huge part of it. Yeah. But that tends to set me up. Yeah. And sometimes I exercise depending on the the time that I have. Yeah. 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 That's it. But my the journal's the most important bit. Mm. Love that. So do you have any other particular rituals to help you live your dream life, not just in the morning, but any other rituals that you can share? I make an effort all day to find pockets of joy mm. in everything. Yeah. So say, for example, I've got five minutes to spare. I'll do something nice for myself. I'll go sit on a bench and look at a tree. I know that sounds so simple. Or if I'm, if I'm walking past a car that happens to be blasting out a song that I like, I'll kind of loiter around for a little while and listen to that song. It's, it isn't huge changes. It's just an all-day reminder that I'm worthy and capable of having a great life. And that's in, in everything I do, even if it's that I decide, okay, I'm only going to look at the tops of the buildings in London because they're so beautiful for the next 10 minutes while I walk. Mm. You know, these are the tiny things that I integrate into my life all day that remind me that I'm worthy of taking care of and I'm worthy of having fun and 
I'm worthy of forgiving myself. It's just all these little sprinklings, you know, peppered across my whole life. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's really good. Um, a lot of great tips there for all of us to incorporate into the day and very easy to do as well and free. Free, totally. Yeah. And uh, again, easy, but you have to be in the mindset already. And that's yeah. why the morning routine is actually really important, Yeah, is to already be in the mindset of thinking, my intention today is to make this the, the best day for me possible. Mm, I love it. So... Have you got a favorite Kiki K product? And if you do, what is it? <laughs> yes, the gold rollerball. It's changed oh, my life. Oh, that's my favorite too. I love it so much. People think I'm awesome when I get it out. Have you noticed? <laughs> People are like, ooh, check you out. And I've always had fancy pens, I have to be honest with you, because it's always just made me feel like what I'm going to write is fancy <laughs> and important. But this pen, absolutely. Uh, I mean, really, I've been telling everyone, you know, a few weeks ago, I put it on Instagram and I never advertise, I, mean, I don't advertise anything. But I was like, anyone who writes anything needs to get this amazing pen. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you. It's, uh, you know, it's funny. Thank I um, only signed my book with that pen. Mm. Um, I love, love, love that pen. It's and, um, everything. You don't need a lot of pens if you have that pen, just a few refills with you. That's my theory. Yeah, yeah. totally. And it, it's it's everything. It's sleek. It's modern. It's kind of sexy. I've just, I've got a lot of time for it. Really. I'm very into this pen. <laughs> oh, that's I'm glad nice. you asked because I've been saying this at a lot of dinners and lunches and well, thank coffees. You. <laughs> thank right. you very much for your support of my favorite pen as <laughs> yeah. well. I love hearing that. <laughs> and as you know, um, I'm a big book lover. So if you could share your favorite book and why, and I know you probably have a few because I know you love write, reading as well. But if you could think of one, what would that be? Gosh, my favorite book. That is a difficult one. You know what? I really like Gabor Mate's In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. Mm. It talks about addiction and health, and I'm a big fan of his work. And actually, that was one of the first books that I read on addiction. I thought, wow, yeah, this is how I feel about this. Oh, great. So I'll send you a copy. It's, it's, a, it's a really, really good book. Gabor Mate is one of my Oh, wonderful. We'll, um, we'll link to it in the show notes so people can um, get access to that as well. So the one last question for you, and I think this is a perfect last question for you because you will have some much wisdom. Mm -hmm. If you could go back to your younger self, say when you're in your late teens, what advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now? It's funny because the all of our inclinations is to say, be nicer to yourself don't sweat the small stuff and all that stuff. But I think about where I am now and it's because I wasn't nice to myself and it's because of those mistakes and it's because of the challenge. I wouldn't be where I am. I know it's a cliche, but I specifically wouldn't be where I am giving the advice that I'm giving yeah. unless I had suffered that many years of not liking myself. Yeah. So that's not one of them. So I would say I would tell myself, as long as you do what you love, truly love, everything else will work out. Just concentrate on that. Do what you love. And if what comes to you naturally is not well received by some people, change the people, not yourself. Mm. That is such a good advice. That's what I would say. Because any time that I've been truly authentic in all the ways that I grew up to think were embarrassing or too extra or too emotional or any of those things, when I've truly been those things for long enough in a really authentic way, the people who I connect with most have found me and the opportunities that suit me most that it, that I can take on with the most ease just found me. Yeah. Yeah. Love ending on that note. You know, when I um, get asked when people want to start their own business, 
they always ask, you know, what's your number one tip? And I always say, find something you're passionate about or something you love. Because when you start your own business, you're going to have to go through so many ups and downs, regardless how successful your business will be, it will always be lots, lots of ups and downs. And, and the downs are um, sometimes really tough. And if, they, if you do something you love, you get through them so much better. So that's really in my, in my line of advice as well. So thank you so much. And can I just end this amazing conversation by saying a massive thank you first for your time, but not just that, but for what you do to the world. It's just truly inspiring and truly amazing. And I know you know this, but it's um, what you do for, for people that have uh, obviously addictions but also for the everyday person who might not think that they have a problem that could get so much help is truly amazing and truly unbelievably beautiful so thank you so much thank you and back at you needless to say thank you very much indeed too thank you what an amazing chat that was so much incredible wisdom on treating ourselves with the kindness we deserve in order to make positive long-lasting changes in our lives I just love Cheru's belief that the only way to sustain any difficult change in your life is to like yourself more, believe that you're worthy and believe that you are capable. Such a simple yet powerful message. Like Cheru, I'm also a huge believer in finding the joy in every day and taking time to acknowledge all the amazing things you have achieved to help you realize how talented and capable you are which is why you'll find chapters in my book, Your Dream Life Starts Here, dedicated to reflecting on and celebrating who you are and where you are right now. If you haven't got a copy yet, I encourage you to do so, as it's full of essential and simple steps you can start today to help you on your journey of uncovering and chasing your dreams, whatever that may be. And also grab a copy of the Dream Life Journal I have created to go with it. Another great place to start is to check out my 101 Dreams audio guide at kiki-k.com forward slash dream life. If you love this episode, don't forget to subscribe for plenty more inspiration. And please tell us what you thought by leaving us a review. I really enjoy reading all your reviews and feedback. I'm so grateful for all your comments. So please keep them coming. I would really appreciate your support with my big crazy dream to inspire 101 million people to write down three dreams on paper and go and chase them. So please help us spread this inspiring message to even more people by sharing our podcast on social media with the hashtag 101 million dreamers. Until next time, don't forget to dream big and chase your dreams. <laughs>